I must say, you're a real piece of work, Cam Seamer. I must say, you're a real piece of shit, Eric Ambler. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, welcome, listeners, to the podcast where we like it extreme, and we look at the pop culture of our youth through the lens of adulthood. It's not about good or bad, it's about then and now, as we try our best to answer the question, Hey, what were we watching? Oh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen and Italian stallions, to episode 193, Cliffhanger. And we have with us a very special guest making his What Were We Watching debut. He is one of the co-hosts of the Apecast. It is Jeff Clark. Hey, guys. Long time, first time. Happy to be here. And we're thrilled to have you. It's been a long time coming, I feel. So glad we could finally get you on the podcast. Yeah, I I am honored to be here to discuss this movie in particular, too. You picked one that's right in my wheelhouse. I believe this is when when we sent out our list, as we do, as as some listeners know. You had tabbed this one, or you you marked this one as one you'd be interested in, and uh, immediately our interest was piqued. It's like, oh, a cliffhanger (laughs) stand. Now we're talking. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could have picked pretty much any Stallone movie from the 80s or 90s, and I would have uh, been chomping at the bit. Oh, man. Noted. Noted for future reference. <laughs> <laughs> this this is the one that would, was topping my list of, of Stallone movies, uh, and I'll get into why, because it's kind of a fun anecdote, but we're not there yet. We're not, because first we just have to give people a little bit of background about Cliffhanger, which was released on May 28th, 1993. Directed by Rennie Harlan, screenplay by Michael France and Sylvester Stallone, and it stars Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> John Lithgow, Michael Rooker, Janine Turner, Rex Lynn, Carolyn Goodall, Leon, Ralph Waite, and Paul Winfield. Special appearance, I should say, by Paul Winfield. <laughs> Whew, that is a stacked cast. And before we get going in earnest... You know, since we're up here at a high altitude, our brains might be a little foggy. Cam, could you give us just a little brief recap of Cliffhanger? I'll make it brief, very brief. Uh, Maybe the briefest of my recaps on this podcast. (laughs) Nice. So Sylvester Stallone plays a mountain climber and rescue ranger named Gabe Walker. And we open with a rescue mission gone awry as he fails to save a woman from falling to her death when her harness breaks. Months later, Gabe has given up the rescue ranger life until his old girlfriend Jessie convinces him to help out when they receive a distress call on the mountain. Gabe and friends learn it's a trap by a group of terrorists who botched a plane heist that sent three suitcases containing over $100 million scattered about the mountain. The terrorists plan to use Gabe's climbing skills and knowledge of the mountain to retrieve the cases, but he manages to escape. 
The heroes and villains continue to cross paths. The heroes gradually defeat each terrorist until Gabe finally thwarts the leader, Quaylen, and sends him to his death. The heroes survive, ending atop the same peak where they all started at the beginning of the movie. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Yeah. But- propulsive action simple as that all the way through <laughs> yeah you don't need a lot of story when you got all this action yeah. <laughs> when you said rescue rangers cam i could just not stop thinking about <laughs> just and gabe rescue <laughs> rangers and their friend monterey frank yeah <laughs> <laughs> he does have that same offbeat energy yeah <laughs> Does that mean Michael Rooker is the, uh, the zipper of the crew? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't peg him for a zipper, but that's all that's left. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are only so many rescue rangers to work with here. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm dying to know, guys, and, and because, spoiler alert, my history with this movie is not very extensive. In fact, I watched it for the first time last week, so I don't have a lot to say Whoa. in terms of my past, my history with this film, but Jeff, you're our guest. I am dying to know uh, when the first time you saw Cliffhanger was. So when this came out in 1993, uh, I was just shy of 14 years old, uh, which is a kind of the cutoff age, I think. In, in the States, I'm, I'm Canadian, I should mention, and uh, in Canada, a 14A is the equivalent of the American PG-13 rating. So I probably would have been into seeing this in the theaters, but was unable to do so. So the first time I probably saw it was uh, on video. My family also had cable, uh, you know, the full cable deal, which in Canada means we had one movie channel as opposed to the half a dozen that Americans get, HBO and Showtime, etc. But uh, I was a huge Stallone fan at the time. I'd seen all the Rambos, all the Rockies, Cobra, Tango and Cash, you know, you name it. Uh, So I was pumped to see this and uh, watched it several times. Uh, when it was on cable, and it's been probably about 15, 20 years since I've seen it, but I've I've definitely probably, this is probably like my eighth time watching it, I would guess. It almost seems unfair if you had already seen all the Rambo movies that you weren't allowed to go see Cliffhanger in a theater. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, it's basically, I mean, I just had, my parents weren't super restrictive about you know, movie stuff with me, but they wouldn't just rent me anything I wanted from the video store. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I had friends who did not have that limitation, that restriction. <laughs> I remember a birthday party when I was like 10 years old where we watched all three Rambo movies, and it was awesome. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Incredible. We've all been there, though, the, of the, watching at a friend's house. I, I probably have a similar story with the Scream movies, so there you have it. Cam, how about you? Uh, so, so this is my funny story is that I wasn't sure if I had seen this movie, and I wanted to like watch it again to to make sure. And the answer is I had not seen this movie. <laughs> but but it's funny because back in the day, it's 1993. I'm much younger than you, Jeff. I was only like five or six when this movie came out. So like I did a funny thing where like I think I saw the trailer or like saw the poster or maybe like maybe we like peeked into the theater or something and saw like a snippet of it. But from that moment on, I was like. Cliffhanger is my favorite movie. <laughs> and like I didn't even I didn't even watch it. I was just like this is my shit right here. <laughs> like I just I saw what I needed to see. I was like, "Yes, this." <laughs> and that's the only memory I have of it is like claiming that Cliffhanger was my favorite movie at the time, but watching it again I'm like, "Yeah, I never saw this movie." <laughs> I think I just saw the trailer and was like, "That's the one." <laughs> Look at that jump he's doing. That cr- that cool yeah. last jump. Oh man. I don't think I like put it together that, like 
I needed to have watched the movie in order to make it my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just small details. Yeah. Yeah. Classic little kid logic. Yeah, exactly. So this is my first real sitting down watching it. Wow. For the, in full. This is, tec- so this is technically yeah. for us a what weren't we watching. Yes. Uh, it's incredible. <laughs> seen it enough for the three of us don't worry about that <laughs> i think of course cam and i being very familiar with the oeuvre of jim carrey we've seen ace ventura too yes yes which that, yeah that's my that's my main entry point yeah. into this movie is like i always knew that was a parody of, of cliffhanger. cliffhanger yeah <laughs> oh you have to refresh my memory because I've, I've seen ace ventura too but i don't remember a cliffhanger parodying aspect oh, man. Of that movie. so the opening of that movie is is ace on a rescue mission to rescue this like raccoon that's oh. like stuck on a on a cliff, and it's like shot for shot, pretty much like <laughs> yeah. a parody. The same close of... ups of like all the um, the straps and buckles like un- unbuckling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well, I know what I'm watching after this. Yeah. So it's so it's almost hard for me to like take this movie seriously now that I'm so familiar with when nature calls. I'm just like, yeah, this is <laughs> this has been ruined for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is effective in the, in cliffhanger. It's it's a riveting kind of. Ugh. Oh, that opening scene! Yeah, it's harrowing. It really, I yeah. think. Even watching it now, it it felt like it hit me harder than it did when I was you know a snarky teen. It's the way that the fun turns into tragedy just so quickly, and it's devastating. I might even say this is like I like the movie as a whole, but the opening scene might be my favorite part of it, like hands down. It's just incredible. I love the the banter. Yeah. The old man, their friend, Frank, the helicopter pilot, he calls Stallone rock jock. (laughs) It'll take more than that to embarrass me, rock jock. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I love kind of like this. You know, it's it's the same thing you might see at the beginning of any action blockbuster. We're having fun. We're having fun. Then there's, you know, the the first element of danger, but we usually come out of it unscathed. To have to start your big summer blockbuster with like a man failing to rescue someone else and some, like someone plummeting to their death in such a terrifying fashion. It's like, oh my god, I've, I'm I'm paying attention now. I'm sitting straight up. Yes. I like how she dooms herself, too, by saying, like, so we're on for dinner later, right? And it's just like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> it's just so crushing. I, it's kind of amazing how they're able to keep on going after that. Like, like the other elements, like the two rad 90s dudes that they introduce. <laughs> to use Those that. Guys. Yeah. Uh, was it Evan and Brett? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I just noticed, like, kind of, because I rewatched it after watching it for the first time like how kind of absurd but also brilliant it is to have their energy offset that scene where stallone's character is coming back to the mountain for the first time since the accident he's clearly <laughs> like like at his low and there's these two guys going hey Gabe, we hate hey, work <laughs> <laughs> don't say that word <laughs> oh, those two dudes I, I i'd completely forgotten about them and 
you know, as soon as they showed up again, I was like, oh, yeah, these guys. And, and then I'm thinking, like, why are they even in this movie? Like, what, what's the point? <laughs> and I think they are just, yeah, it is just meant to be comic relief. And I think also it's it, they really make a, sh- a point of showing that Frank has a knife on him when he cuts the one guy down out of the parachute. So mm. it's it's there for that, too, I suppose. So that when Michael Rooker takes the knife later, we know where it came from. I was expecting them to kind of, like be another like party looking for the money or something like also stumbling across like one of the suitcases and and doing something with it or something but it never quite went there (laughs) i think it's kind of a rennie harlan thing as well uh he also directed die hard 2 and uh the long kiss good night are you guys familiar with that the gina davis samuel jackson no i have not seen that one okay well i watched that in the last week uh just sort of to prepare for this getting in the you know rennie harlan kind of mood and Mm-hmm. that's a good one a Shane Black script I mean Samuel Jackson saying Shane Black dialogue like alone is enough mm. but it's it's a great movie okay. on top of that but Randy Harlan does like getting innocent people killed in the crossfire like there's a lot of yeah. just extraneous dead bodies in, in all three of these movies that's just I think a thing for him makes the bad guys look seem worse I guess if they're just indiscriminately killing innocent people mm-hmm. yeah for sure it reminds me a little bit of Paul Verhoeven too that was kind of a thing yeah. he would do. I mean, Robocop, that, that guy who gets shot to death by Ed 209 in the boardroom, that... He was just going to work. He should have worked from home that day. <laughs> uh, I love that scene because there's just so many squibs in that guy. And then, you know, he just gets destroyed. And then the next line, someone's like, someone get a goddamn ambulance in here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think like, we're nope. way, way past that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, those scenes, too, like... You know, we go into slow motion and the sound drops out and it's just the score. It happens twice, I think, when those two stoner hikers are shot and also when Frank gets shot. That really heightens the the sensation of those. Like, or it, it makes those deaths seem especially just shocking and terrible. Yeah, they, the music, too, helps sell it. And, and you, you still, there's no, you can't hear the gunshots, but you can kind of hear Michael Rooker both times going like, no, yeah. like, distantly. Yeah, both times it's his fault, essentially. Like, they're just like, <laughs> be cool, Hal. Don't say anything. And then he's just like, run, run, run. And they just like shoot the guys. Like, <laughs> So Michael Rooker's just getting a lot of people killed in this movie. Yes. I mean, it was his girlfriend that he yeah. took up to the mountain in the first place. I was reading on the IMDb trivia for that that opening scene. They had It was hard for them to actually get the glove, her glove, to sort of fall off. Like, when, she, when she, Stallone's <laughs> holding onto her hand. So they had to get like a glove that was several sizes too large and still had to like Vaseline it up so that it would <laughs> fall off. <laughs> Movie magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not just for smearing on the camera lens underneath a land speeder. Spe- speaking of things of variable size, again, like rewatching the film and like paying attention to the on location climbing scenes. Obviously, there's a climbing double for these really dangerous stunts that are happening. But the climbing doubles are a very noticeable like less bulk than Sylvester Stallone like they have <laughs> the climber's physique they're more like lean and, and muscular and then Stallone shows up with this like giant 24 inch python of an arm <laughs> yeah it's, it's like he's supposed to have lived in Colorado his whole life presumably and is like been a climber his whole life and it's like yeah I don't know if Stallone's exactly got that the climber bod he's climbing the weight bench so he's climbing yeah. <laughs> I mean, he looks great. He is, like, in a T-shirt for the great majority of this wintry movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was a fun that was a fun element that I gravitated towards. I, I grew up in Colorado, so 
everything was so familiar to me, like the scenes in Denver, you know, this whole this whole movie takes place in the Rockies and they're name dropping like Frisco, Fort Collins. I'm I felt very at home <laughs> watching this movie. And it's funny cuz it came out like right when we my family was moving to Colorado, and I wonder if that played a part in my enthusiasm for this movie. I was like, yeah. we're about to we're about to like move into those mountains. Like that's awesome. <laughs> I live where Cliffhanger lives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I had not been to the Rocky Mountains until very recently, actually. Just a couple weeks ago. Cam was with me. <laughs> I was there, yeah. <laughs> you guys went there to prepare for this podcast episode. <laughs> well, yeah, right? yeah, we did. We did, <laughs> we did some cliffhanging. We, <laughs> we, we, learned, we learned a little bit how like altitude affects the body because we're just <laughs> huffing true. and puffing. I don't know, man. I, f- I feel like I was just like right back in my element. I didn't. I didn't feel any worse. I felt like immune. Wow. Well, <laughs> good lucky you. I you didn't like wake up in the middle of the night short of breath and thought, "Am I dying? Do I have COVID? What's going on?" Yeah, I guess you guys are in LA, right? So that that's quite the yeah. you're at sea level essentially going to yeah. yeah. That's why it's just so impressive to to think about people, yeah, being able to like free climb those giant peaks in the Rockies. Yeah, I mean the, the climbing in this does look great. I mean the scenery is is amazing too. It just it's such yeah. a the, the setting is just I mean obviously conducive to sort of beautiful uh, cinematography and it's going on here yeah, in spades. There's some truly truly impressive helicopter shots, mountainscapes, mm-hmm. vertigo inducing shots. Yeah, I love the cinematography in this movie. Cool, like you know, like you said, Cam, like helicopter or crane or whatever they're doing, like to show movement mm-hmm. too. Like several times, like yeah. there'll be close up on like characters who are standing on a ledge and then the camera will like move up will mm-hmm. kind of like raise and like spin 180 degrees to kind of like give you like you said that sense of vertigo and like to show what's on top like, to to kind of just give a different way to convey this sense of vertical space mm-hmm. pretty clever they actually filmed a bunch of this in italy apparently i don't know if you guys read that oh. but uh, they they paid like i think i read eight million uh lira to have free reign to shoot anywhere in the mountains. And I didn't look up how much 8 million lira is, but it's probably like 50 <laughs> bucks. <laughs> the one thing I know like about just mountains in this movie is apparently Sylvester Stallone is afraid of heights. I don't know if that's true or if it's just kind of like, you know, ironic quote unquote fact about cliffhanger. But obviously, I mean, obviously he's not doing a ton of his own stunts in a, in a movie like this. He's in there. There, there, are, there are definitely shots where you. It's like that's yeah. Stallone for sure. And yeah. you know, maybe they're digitally removing some, uh, you know, wires or something. But he's still, he's up there. I mean, he's hanging. He's hanging. No, As I'm he just says, hanging yeah. Up. I'm just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> you're watching the credits and a screenplay by some dude and Sylvester Stallone. You're just like, okay, yep, here we go. I mean, he. I think he almost always even if he doesn't isn't credited as screenwriter he does have a lot of uh input into the scripts of the movies he's in i believe even in like creed which was written uh by i think the director ryan coogler like all of rocky's lines in creed were stallones yeah i remember seeing that as well and i mean well for rocky obviously that makes sense he yeah he's oscar nominated screenwriter of rocky that's yeah his first his first screenplay wins best picture and he gets nominated for yeah i mean mean, that's that's gonna give anyone a, a big head about their screenwriting abilities <laughs> yeah. whether warranted or not and i think that's yeah it totally plays into like the rest of his career for many years like you were saying he just like has lots of input on the screenplay because he's like hey you know i'm a writer you know 
I'm not even going to try anymore because that is just an awesome Stallone. I love really? It. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying to you guys before the show, I've, I've always kind of privately done Stallone to myself, but I've never, this is me, uh, you know, much like Stallone's fear of heights conquered in this movie, I am conquering my fear of impersonating Stallone in a public forum. Oh, man. Well, speaking of impersonations, can we talk about John Lithgow's English accent? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah chef kiss it just blew me away i think as a youngster the only i think the only thing i knew about this movie was i heard that oh john lithgow was a bad guy in this movie and i had only known him from third rock from the sun the <laughs> sitcom where he plays a wacky alien in a human body and i'm like <laughs> how could this guy ever be like the diehard type villain of any movie but yeah similar you know, thing for time, me time my tell <laughs> my reference point was harry and the hendersons where he's the dad in that just a very nice suburban dad yeah those are both my reference points those that's that's what i knew him from <laughs> primarily as a kid <laughs> i don't think this is his first time though there's a 19 early 90s 90 91 movie called raising cane i think it's a de palma mm-hmm. it is a de palma movie and he plays like a guy with multiple personality disorder in that and he's kind of the bad guy of that movie which i haven't seen that one since probably around that time but it pretty good as i recall mm. Mm. i think I, I couldn't put those dots together until like he was uh the villain in that one season of dexter and he was just like really <laughs> really psychotic <laughs> yeah i haven't seen that show is that one of the good seasons or because i feel like dexter there's like people have pretty polarizing opinions on that show as it goes along yeah i mean i i think i checked out after four or five seasons just because i was kind of like i get it i wasn't like quitting in protest or anything but i think i just like diminishing returns for me Mm-hmm. But the John Lithgow season, I think it was like the third season. It's pretty good. It's one of the, the more memorable ones for me because of him. Mm-hmm. And there's like a scene where he, you know, you're you're kind of just starting to suspect like something's wrong with this guy. And he goes into a house and like after some act of violence, he's committed and just turns on, turns on the shower to like the hottest it can go, like scalding hot. And then just like mm-hmm. steps in, lets the water hit him and makes like a grimace like, Ugh! <laughs> and then that's end of episode like roll cut to black <laughs> i mean he's doing some good grimacing in this movie mm, totally um, yeah I, I i'm into his hamminess in all the things i've seen him in i feel like he's got that like uh what's it called like the transatlantic accent yeah. is that what it's called yeah a little yes, Kath- yeah. Catherine hepburny <laughs> yeah or like kelsey Grammer, kind of just you know always always like a little theatrical in everything he does and it, it works. It works for me. Yeah, I mean, they don't really make clear if he's supposed to be British or not. I mean, they say he was former military intelligence, but they don't say which military. <laughs> <laughs> then they mention South Africa as one, as you as you do in the post Cold War era, like oh, yeah. <laughs> very early '90s. You still need a, a bad guy, a boogeyman. I do think it does kind of suffer a bit from having to act alongside Catherine Goodall and Craig Fairbrass, who are actually british and like have yes. real real english accents <laughs> and you're like then you listen to john lithgow like they're they're having conversations you're like oh that's a little bit different transatlantic as you say uh carolyn goodall by the way i was delighted to see her more from hook yes whoa man yeah. i never made that connection that's i've seen <laughs> i've seen hook a million times and i've seen this a million times i can't believe i haven't uh, put two and two together yeah so many actors in this movie feel so familiar to me like who's the treasury agent that? Oh, Travers. Um, Travers. What is what has he been in? I, I I've seen him everywhere, but I can't even 
place a single thing. So for <laughs> me, he, I, I, the main thing I can remember from him from recently is he was in a few episodes of Better Call Saul. Uh, I don't oh. know, it's not show. He was, I can't oh, even remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was like a client of Kim's or something, I think. Like, But yes. when he showed up, I was just like, oh, it's Travers. Like, I definitely remembered his name because they say his name about 40 times in this movie. More than anyone else's <laughs> name, really. <laughs> they, and I, I'm convinced they're doing it just because he makes him, it pisses him off so much. Not that like a stiff breeze pisses this character off, which is what I love about him. <laughs> but I think, you know, they, they, they taunt him about that early on. He's like, don't say my name because he's like, yeah, you know. He's clearly got some guilt over what he's doing. Yeah, and I love I love sort of his arc throughout the movie, right? Like they're just they're constantly demeaning him, the other terrorists, and you know, I think at one point Michael Rooker's like, you know they're just gonna kill you when they're done with you. Like you're as dead as I am. And then he just snaps at the end. He just totally oh. loses it. And that's great. Magnifique. Yeah. Him like yeah, him just going off the deep end is incredible. In a way, like besides the very beginning of the film i think the last 20 minutes are also where it shines because you have a lot of kind of highlights for the the crew of villains here just one yes. right after another and they're also they all get a little moment to shine and they're all perfect i like his death scene oh yeah <laughs> sure uh you see him under the ice <laughs> yeah, he, get, away. he gets that after yeah after he's been killed shot to show him like you know he's dead but like he gets that bonus shot, right? Because he was such an important <laughs> so, villain in the yeah, movie. Yeah, we, we can all just say our final goodbye to him. See you, Travers. Yeah, yeah nice there goes Travers. <laughs> but just the idea of him like losing his shit at a rabbit, like basic, <laughs> oh, basically yeah, yeah. like the Total Recall trick, and he's just like, God damn it! <laughs> Can't shoot it for a man who's just like composed of God damn it. It's just like that final God damn it <laughs> really drives it home. He feels like he's above it all. Like he is, he's the professional. All these guys are criminals. Like he, but he's, you know, he's the one who's actually got a professional attitude, despite the fact that these are very prepared criminals. And he's like, damn it, you know, this is just personal now. And I don't care. And right before that, though, is Delmar's little soccer monologue that I also think yes. is <laughs> so good. It must have pained him to have to say soccer, hey? Like, do you like yeah. soccer? Yeah, like it's like he can't call it football because it's an, like it's an American movie. Like, yeah, I like to, I just like to think that the character of Delmar like wants to make sure that Hal knows what sport he's talking about as he's like kicking the shit out of him. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not even sure Hal still even knows because he's just like his like little quip at the end. Like, Season's over, asshole! Like doesn't even like. It sort of it works fits. great though. Yeah. That, that kill is maybe my favorite. I mean, there's there's one other kill, of course. Well, we'll, we'll talk about, but uh, when you know, I just remember seeing this and and just loving it so much. Right to I guess to explain it to the listener if they haven't seen it, uh, Hal is hanging on for his life. He's he's hanging on a cliff, and <laughs> Delmar stands on his standing on his hand. He pulls out a knife that he took off uh, of Frank before, stabs him in the leg. Delmar bends over. He grabs the shotgun. One hand just like racks it, says seasons over asshole, shoots him in the gut and sends him flying off the cliff. It's awesome. <laughs> and I love Travers' reaction too, you know, because he's he's he left them on the ledge and he's just like, as far as he knows, that's that's Hal getting killed. <laughs> yeah, I said quietly. <laughs> <laughs> just another another unprofessional moment from this this motley crew that he's found himself with. Yeah. He's bickering assholes, God basically. I'm the adult in the room, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, Delmar and Kynette, played by the actor Leon, 
those yes. guys are at each other's throats throughout, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> Eric Quayland is very like casual about killing people. I mean, the the first guy that gets shot on the plane, the guy with the sniper rifle, someone says like he needs medical attention and he's just, like <laughs> send him to a hospital and just pushes him off the flames. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know. That's when you know Quaylen is a real one. He's just like, yeah. I, I do start thinking about that and think like, how did all these guys meet? Have they done a job before? Like they're yeah. just so, like, they're just so all ex- expendable to each other. It's yeah, they're 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 not all that professional, really. It's it's kind of I don't know if you guys are familiar that familiar with the movie Heat, but there's like the opening mm-hmm. heist in that with De Niro and his crew, and they have the one guy Wayne Grow who like gets all squirrely and kills uh, the security guards, and. You know, the rest of the movie is them like trying to get Wayne Grow for his unprofessionalism. Every terrorist in this movie is a Wayne Grow, basically. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of Wayne Grows. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no De Niro. I guess. I guess uh, Crystal, right? Caroline Goodall. She's yeah. probably the most professional member of the crew, really. Right? She just right. competently sets up the C4, lands the plane, comes up with an alibi off the top of her head when they call in the fake rescue. Call. Yes, <laughs> we need insulin. Yeah, Quaylen gives her the thumbs up for uh, that kind of. Yeah, a big applause for Quaylen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Quaylen likes. I mean, they're kind of meant to be a couple, I think. Right? Yeah, I guess. Until he murders her, right. he shoots her. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that too, and I mean, again, this you know, Rennie Harlan doesn't mind having his bad guys be real bad, but I think it's also a thing of like. She needs to die. She's one of the bad guys. And, like, do we really want Stallone or Rooker, like, murdering her? Like, it just seems weird, I think, because she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't seem as, she's not as contemptible as the other bad guys, right? She gets mad when they shoot Frank, for example. Uh, it's just a shame she didn't survive long enough for the 90s trope of, of the female protagonist fighting the female villain. <laughs> that's I want Janine Turner to go at her, man. Yeah, they could have done that. That's that's how that's how movies work right. still to this day. Yeah, I mean, and they or they could have had another avalanche. I know they did that like towards the beginning of the movie already to take out one of the bad guys. <laughs> a self a self yeah, own, if you will. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the grenade launcher wasn't a, such a good idea, bro, on the mountainside. <laughs> Whoa! Did you hear that thunder? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, those dudes. Yeah, I kind of like how each terrorist is sort of dispatched in a different way too right you have the avalanche guy you have the guy who kind of is sliding down stallone and him are sliding down the the snowy hill (laughs) yeah i was about to bring that one up that's that's a fun silly scene (laughs) it's like nobody slides for that long (laughs) you slow down eventually (laughs) but it's like they're like on a sled (laughs) just like yeah barreling down the mountain they're on like Chevy Chase's Christmas vacation sled yes. that he lubricates up. <laughs> Leaves a flame trail. I love how Stallone like face washes him, like sticks his face in the snow, and it, he, his face comes up, and he's so bloody. It's yeah. Like... <laughs> uh, fun fact: that actor is Max Dad from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. If you've ever ah, fan of wow. that show who plays a very similarly like menacing dude like he just has that actor just has that look those piercing eyes and then that like coal black facial hair and that kind of long hair he has too it's very like yeah 80s 90s terrorist hair Mm -hmm. that's a great one and then i mean leon uh who who is also the one of the main guys in cool runnings i don't know if you guys knew that about him oh Oh, i know i know my leon uh you know black black jesus from the like a prayer madonna video Oh yeah, <laughs> he's great in this, yeah. and um, and his kill is the most memorable. He gets impaled on a stalactite. Oh. I mean, that's just that, 
there's nothing more to say. Stallone picks him up, like one hand on his crotch, <laughs> just lifts him <laughs> above his head and impales him on a stalactite, and it kills him. No one liner <laughs> even necessary. Like he just, no. it just is so shocking, <laughs> and and and, um, and improbable and awesome. <laughs> that's just how generous Stallone is as an actor. Because Leon says a bunch of cool shit before he gets killed, right? Oh like time God. to kill me a mountain man. Well, he goes he goes pretty far into like really dark territory, and almost oh, yeah. almost too far. Where he's like, uh, "What's it come to when a, some a man will put money?" above the safety of him and his bitch he just calls yeah. he just calls jesse bitch so many times and like, <laughs> it's like i get it i want this guy to die i don't i don't i don't need any more encouragement it's okay right yeah we already know he's a bad guy yeah. i mean he did shoot with with his uzi he shot one of those cool uh two cool dudes um yeah there's actually when yeah when janine turner grabs the uzi and points it at him and he's like no bullets bitch that was like a quote me and my friend, I distinctly remember playing Doom on his computer. And, like, you know, if we run out of ammo for, like, the chain gun, like, we would always just say that to each other. That was that was a line that stuck with us for some reason. I kind of like it. Like, I go back and forth because I kind of like it. It's, it's almost like a Freddy Krueger line dropped in the middle of Cliffhanger. <laughs> it's, it's a favorite word of Freddy Krueger's, that's for sure. I could see Robert Englund going, no bullets, bitch. <laughs> But I, just how drawn out the scene is, too. He's kind of like, I'm going to ask you three times. Where's the money? <laughs> As if that's going to change anything. Just like... Stallone's like, sissy. You hit like a sissy. And then he immediately, like, jump kicks Stallone in the head after he says Oh, that. yeah. It's, like, it's an awesome jump kick. This, this era of action movies, it's like um, 90s action villain bingo in Cliffhanger. Because you do have the, you have the one who knows martial arts. And that's Kinnett. Yeah, you have the uh, shoulder strap Uzis, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, and there's just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you have the night vision goggles, like tactical gear, mm. and <laughs> that was, that was very Predator. I thought, yeah. like the, the the way it's filmed, it's very like horror movie. You know, I, I like that sequence. It all, the way it starts, it almost reminds me of like a, a Sega CD game, right? Where it's sort of <laughs> him through looking through the goggles, and uh, Caroline Goodall is there, and she's like go get him. She's got her gun to Michael Rooker's head and then the camera pans off to the right and he starts walking. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I feel like there's just like a very much a video game structure to this whole movie. There's three cases. We got to find them all. And now it's now it's like a race between the heroes and the terrorists to like get the three cases and defeat all the mini bosses. Yeah. Yeah. Stallone knows where all three of them are. Like he looked at their tracking thing yeah. for like one minute, and he knows the location of all three of them, and is way way faster at getting to them too. He knows every he knows every handhold on that mountain. Yeah, uh, he, he grew up. He obviously listened to his Colorado accent. He obviously grew up in Colorado. <laughs> Gabe Walker. That's a that's the name of a dude from Colorado, all right? I mean, yeah. he's not Rocky Balboa or Marion Cobretti. <laughs> That's his name in Cobra, by the way. <laughs> that explains my uh, Stallone accent that I naturally have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's been you doing the voice the whole time. I can't actually do any kind of yeah. I kind of wanted at all. I kind of wanted to trick people into thinking Stallone was actually here with us this whole time. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> uh, but speaking of video games, I heard you guys had some experience 
in yeah. preparation for this yeah. podcast. Nintendo <laughs> <guess>. and Sega. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I rented the Super Nintendo game uh, of this back in the day uh, and found it to be very generic. Mm. It's a Double Dragon Final Fight clone, basically, with occasional uh, climbing scenes, uh, you know, levels. Okay. Yeah, I, I, like, skimmed through a playthrough, and I was like, eh, side-scroller. I don't know if that's what I would have wanted from this movie in a game, but... Yeah, that's kind of what they did. Since I got it right here, I'll just show you guys if you can see it, or my background is blocking it. But, yes, I I have this Sega. I am now the owner of the Sega Genesis cartridge of Cliffhanger, and I agree with Jeff's assessment. It is very generic uh, side-scrolling beat-em-up, to the point where a lot of the bosses are just palette-swapped versions of of the regular enemies. Like, there's, there's like, a guy who jumps around a lot, like Kinect, like, doing karate kicks in the air that you fight just within the level, but then when you fight Kinect as a boss, it's just, like, they darken his skin on that one. And it's like, oh, it's the, it's the boss now. <laughs> it's very generic, repetitive in visuals and gameplay, and, oh, my God, in the music. Holy shit. <laughs> that was probably the hardest thing about it. <laughs> like, I, I played it for, like, about an, an hour and a half, and just seeing how far I could get. I'm not any expert, especially at this era of games when they were much, much harder than they are today. But even if you were a fan of the movie, I guess there would be some cool like little nods to like what happens in the film. But for the most part, it's just quickly cranked out a uh, licensed game. I did find out though that the, the lead programmer for the game a few years back actually released all the code for free. Just like, here, go ahead and mod it. Do what you want to do with it. So somewhere out there, I want to believe that there's specially modded versions of Cliffhanger that are more like, I don't know, Demolition Man versions of Cliffhanger, the video game, or yeah. any other any <laughs> Judge Dredd versions. <laughs> Both better games than this one. I've played, I've played them all. Yeah, I want, to, I want to get that Kaizo Cliffhanger going on. If you guys are familiar with Kaizo games, they're like super, super impossible uh, hacks of Mario Brother games where you basically need to just like jump you know, pixel perfectly to get through a level there's millions of invisible blocks and yeah that, they're kind of a fun thing to watch if you look those up on youtube it does seem like a, cl- a cliffhanger game would be more suited to like those battle toads levels where you're either like climbing like jumping up platforms or descending into a cavern. yeah, yeah. <laughs> get a repelling level going on yeah. The Sega CD version of this game did have a snowboarding component, uh, which I watched on YouTube. <laughs> Me too. Uh, <laughs> I was so disappointed kind of... that I don't have a Sega CD. <laughs> like, damn it. <laughs> Sega CD also has uh, what appears to be the score from the movie playing. Yeah. CD quality audio. Yeah. Wow. And like cutscenes, like little clips from the actual movie play in, yeah. be- in between the uh... levels. Oh, man. I Yeah. It's, it's really funny just to think of like, damn, like... Th- like that, now that's what I'm talking about when we have a licensed game from this era. Like, just throw in shit that isn't even in the movie. Of course, like Stallone yeah. snowboarding. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. He has long hair. He has hair that's different from his hair in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, the, the craziest example of, of that is the uh, Demolition Man, another Stallone movie from the same year. Uh, the Demolition Man 3DO game, the Panasonic 3DO they actually filmed stuff with Snipes and Stallone for that game. Oh There's God. like original footage of them in costume in that game, wow. and it still looks like it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were living in it was such a time of of riches in the FMV era where we just didn't know what we were doing. 
but we were so excited about this new technology. It's video. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Sewer shark. <laughs> the high watermark for me of 90s action tie-in games would definitely be True Lies, uh, which I, I owned on the Super Nintendo. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one, but... No. That, I know there's a Genesis version. I'm sure it's identical. That, that'd be a good pickup, Eric, if you happen to see that in a, in a you know, bargain bin somewhere. I've heard that but, one's uh, like pretty good, actually. Yeah, it, it, it sort of has the same perspective as Zelda, like a link to the past. So it's sort of not quite top-down, but sort of top-down-ish. Um, and the shooting is just really fun. Like you, you got this dodge roll you can do, and uh, there's great, you know, just pistol, shotgun, Uzi, flamethrower, grenades, yeah. you know, just classics. <laughs> Uh, it's shotgun's really satisfying. It's got the good, <laughs> which is sort of, I mean, this is this early nineties is when the shotgun really came into its own in terms of movies and games. Uh, I mentioned doom before you guys did Terminator two on the show not too long ago. And that's like, that's an amazing shotgun movie. <laughs> yeah. It's got Arnold, Arnold doing the spinning reload on the motorcycle. And then Sarah Connor later on, right? Yeah. She's uh, she's got the T one thousand dead to rights, and she's just like one handed reloading it and feeding <laughs> shot after shot into him. So cool! It's a big coming out party for the shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a golden age. The nineties, yeah, be all about shotguns, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Army of Darkness, I think, is another ninety three movie that uh, has some pretty good shotgun stuff in it. Oh yeah, totally. His boomstick, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shop smart. Shop S-smart. <laughs> we, uh, we talked a little bit about the stunts and the location shooting in this movie, which is phenomenal. I just also noticed how it really throws into focus whenever they are obviously on a soundstage and like stitching together the different yeah. scenes. It's like pretty, the transitions can get pretty jarring at times, especially like close to the end where some people are in that like frozen pond area that is so clearly a set. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, where Travers bites it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then then all of a sudden we're outside and like now it's like the helicopter shot of everyone like hanging off the side of the mountain. <laughs> and then they cut back to to Hal and Jess like crouching behind a styrofoam rock and we're like, look out, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> I love their their shouting support there, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I think he knows. Like he knows to look out. Guy's trying to kill him in a freaking helicopter. <laughs> also, at that altitude, it reminded me of like that joke they make in Shazam when the two guys are like flying in the air, like having their big superhero fight, and Mark Strong is monologuing at Shazam, <laughs> and like they cut to Shazam's perspective, and it's just like the rushing wind, and he's like, "I can't hear you." <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. There's no way Gabe can hear anything that those people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like, I mean, all that stuff in the end there where Quaylen's in the helicopter and, you know, because he somehow kidnaps Janine Turner, right, when she could just book it. Like, he's not exactly that mobile in a friggin' helicopter. No. Right? He's like, pointing his gun, but yeah. what's he going to shoot her from the helicopter while he's piling <laughs> the thing? I don't, I don't think so. He does get convincingly, like, unhinged. I did like that, where he's like, I don't care if, if I'm ready to die. Like, I'm, I just want to take you with me. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's some cold-blooded shit. And after all he's been through, like he was gonna get sixty million dollars, and like now he's got Buffkiss. It's like, well, might as well kill this goody two shoes. <laughs> yeah, that'll put a smile on my calendar for this day. He kind of has his like moment where he loses it too, where he's kind of just like, "Damn you, Walker!" Like he just, yeah. Oh yeah, one of my favorite lines of his is even before that when he's like, has when he hasn't even like met them at the top with the chopper, he like realizes Hal and Gabe have like linked up and they're still alive. 
He's like, you resilient bastards. <laughs> 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 he's frustrated, but he's like, respect. You know, like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah this guy doesn't go down. Unlike every other member of his team. Yeah. <laughs> even <laughs> even the Travers. good old civil servant. He's, he, yeah. <laughs> it really does feel like Die Hard on a Mountain. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're, oh, da- yeah. we're dancing around it, but that's basically what it is. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, you know, terrorists up to no good, and then the hero is just kind of like there, happens to be there, and gets roped into it and, like, has to hide from them and, like, pick them off one by one until the final boss. It's a very satisfying structure for an action movie. Like, the Die Hard model is pretty perfect, and it's just fun to see it in its different permutations, like, in different settings. Uh, And I like it on this, in the Rocky Mountains. Of course I would. (laughs) Rocky Mountain boy that you are. You're a real rock jock. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The sort of interpersonal stuff at the beginning of the movie, too, feels die-hardy, right? In Die Hard, it kind of makes... It works well because... He's estranged from his wife, so she's not using his. She's using her maiden name, and like that kind of stuff pays off in the plot of Die Hard. Whereas here, it is abandoned completely, right? Like (laughs) as soon as Quaylen dies, like Paul Winfield shows up in his helicopter, and he's like, "Well, hang tight. We'll send someone to get you." Roll credits. Like that's it, you know? (laughs) Because Hal is kind of unreasonably angry at Gabe over what happened. It's not really Gabe did try to save Sarah from falling. But Hal just, like, hates him, it seems. Almost threatening to kill Stallone at one point. Yeah. Which doesn't seem too reasonable. I mean, Hal's kind of an asshole, unfortunately. Like, I, I hate to say, speak ill of Michael Rooker in any <laughs> character he plays, but... <laughs> He's always got kind of an asshole bent to him in most of the things he plays, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, that is true, yeah. He's not, he's not often... This is probably, yeah, one of the rare times he's just, like, a straight-up good guy. Like, Yeah. Yeah. And even here, yeah, even here he's pretty salty and uh, rash. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, he comes through. He comes through in the end for his friends. Yeah, he tries to help Gabe. He, he empties the shotgun into the helicopter. It doesn't do anything, but yeah. But why would he? Yeah, I mean, these guys are mountain rescue guys. <laughs> why would they be good at guns? I guess Stallone does just, like, drop uh, Travers with three perfect pistol shots from under a block of ice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the the, like, creeping numbness just helped him with his aim. He just was like, whatever. Like, I'm going to shoot yeah. at the big shadow above me and hope I hit it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's like natural bullet time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. briefly, I want to touch upon uh, just special appearance by Paul Winfield. I just found that such Please. a delight that he gets that credit. I know, right? I was looking it up, too. I'm like, why, why, you know, why would he get that little ta-da moment? I mean, he is an Oscar nominee for Sounder way back in the early 70s. Yeah, I mainly know him from Star Trek II, where he is uh, Chekhov's captain. Right. Uh, and as yeah. as we all know, the Chekhov's captain appears in the first act. <laughs> he will shoot himself in the third act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bad humor, I know. <laughs> uh, I And also from The Terminator, as like yeah, the police. Yeah, one of the cops. Yep police chief uh, or like lieutenant or whatever so it's not like you know he's a stranger to these type of movies where it's like like you might have and a special appearance by helen mirian in fast nine or something like that it's like yes. oh yeah <laughs> kind of warrants that uh, she can drive fast now too by the way she's <laughs> she's 
if you're in two Fast and Furious movies, like by the second one, you will be the best driver in the world. Well, second only to Dominic Toretto. They're all high-performance drivers, as the, yeah. as the log lines <laughs> like to put it. <laughs> They're criminals, but they can drive really well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then Ralph Waite gets to, like the final credit, though, the and. And that's someone I definitely had to look up and realized, oh, it's the dad from the Waltons. And boy, what a fun departure this was. Even though he kind of brings a little bit of the same Walton energy to this role. He's, <laughs> you know, he's, he looks like a normal guy, but he's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he paints, he does weird paintings of uh, monkeys oh eating God. bananas. Or a banana eat, eating a monkey. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, what am sorry. I talking about? Yeah, I'm so glad we were able to like, have that tiny little ape connection in here for you, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please just punch to see that. I was... <laughs> Here I was thinking Stallone was never in any kind of an ape movie. And here we are. Yep. I like to think he like saved that painting to remember Frank by. Yeah, it's sort of in like Frank's little memorial part of the uh, the office. I also like how he seems to just be painting that on a pane of glass, like an old window. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting medium. Yeah, I like it. But he just like that actor though just has such kind eyes when he has to like get serious and be part of like these fights essentially <laughs> like it is or, or or you know people plummeting to their death it's it's kind of jarring and jeff you sent me a brilliant meme earlier today <laughs> <laughs> man i yeah in the opening scene of the movie when you know michael rooker and frank are sort of on the other side of the cliff and rooker is in anguish and frank is just straight up smiling like he just looks happy at what's happening and i don't understand why that's the case i know i'm so glad you called it out too because i think i even clocked that the very first time i saw that scene i'm like is he smiling what what is going on (laughs) what's he so happy about is he never liked sarah like he yeah (laughs) he liked hal's old girlfriend better it's like i think Maybe he's trying to grimace, but again, like those kind eyes just make me think he's, you know, twinkling, not grimacing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, he just can't do it. He's just, he's too friendly. Maybe he's trying to, like, keep positive about the whole situation. He's like, you'll make yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's why it's funny when Jess says, like, you're the only one who didn't lose his cool. And it's like, no, I'm pretty sure he kind of did. It was like <laughs> Jess and Frank who did lose their cool. <laughs> They're just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sitting there in the chopper, waiting for something to happen. I also wanted to talk about the novelization of Cliffhanger, which I have oh, right here. Sweet. Oh, sweet. <laughs> and it is pretty straightforward. It follows the, the plot of the film very closely, so they must have been working off a very late version of the script. So maybe not as fun as some other novelizations. It moved quickly because these are uh, Dan Brown-sized chapters. Like Some chapters are literally <laughs> like a page or two. <laughs> it is it is like a 215 page book and there are 65 chapters so you do the math wow. <laughs> wow the one one really cool addition is that there's a prologue that's just all about describing how mountains are formed and and kind of like <laughs> giving giving it this thematic heft like pr- the pressure and death or murder can happen in an instant on the mountains <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I wonder if that was the the author's edition, or was there a, an early version of the screenplay that opened the movie with an explanation of how mountains are formed? I would not be surprised if this was the author's um, decision, because let me just read to you the very first sentence of this novelization is fantastic. Mountain making, or orogeny, takes millions of years and comes about in many ways. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like, wait, I I just picked up a book with Stallone on the cover. What am I reading? <laughs> yeah. Did the cover get switched by accident or something? And the one like significant change, if you can call it that, is uh, near the very end, at the final confrontation between Gabe and Quaylen, they change uh, the one-liner uh, that Gabe shouts at Quaylen. So in the movie, as we know, it's uh, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he says it at the beginning, too, right. right before Sarah dies. Which I was thinking is kind of weird because Quaylen doesn't know that Gabe said that. Like, it's like he's just thinking, <laughs> he's thinking, like, is he just making, like, a weird dad joke right now as he's killing me? Um, yeah. Hal and Jesse can't hear, and I don't think Hal would appreciate yeah. <laughs> him repeating the same thing he said right before his girlfriend yeah. died, too. So, and that's what, who is that for? It, I guess it's for us. For us, yeah, exactly. And it also made me realize, oh yeah, like very much in the Die Hard mold, the protagonist and the villain don't really spend a whole lot of time together in the movie. Like, there's mm-hmm. they're very, barely they're on screen for like just a little bit at the beginning and then a little bit at the end. But anyway, in the book, it's kind of this whole Kinet like uh, <laughs> exchange. Where he's like, hey, I got something to tell you. It's this one thing. And Quinn's like, what? And Gabe says, it's fetch, you fuck. And that's when he... Like, <laughs> because that's what Quaylen told him to do with the, uh, when he was finding the first case. He's like sending him up the mountains. Like, okay, now go, fetch. Mm-hmm. But also doesn't make sense because like, what is he asking Quaylen to fetch? Like, <laughs> Yeah. He should have thrown the money off the cliff instead of into the helicopter blades, and then it would have made sense. Exactly, for him exactly. I kind of like that better, actually, as a, as a line, because keep your arms and legs in the vehicle at all times is kind of just like, all right, he's got to say something, I guess. That's all they had. I, it's clearly something I think they were like working on a lot, and yeah. it both in in book and movie form didn't didn't nail didn't get an A plus necessarily, but you know, it, it's still fun, and the explosion. And and John Lithgow's terrified <laughs> expression. That's some mm. that's some good Hans Gruber Hall of Fame stuff right there. Uh, I love the choice to do a, a, a fast zoom in on Lithgow's face yeah. as he's screaming right before he blows up. That that just makes it so much funnier. And that explosion is insane. Like it just the helicopter touches the ground and it just <laughs> just lights up. I mean, The Simpsons is already making fun of this, I think, at this point. Yeah. But they're still just like, no, that's how it's got to be. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's just full of kerosene, that, that helicopter. <laughs> Explosions yeah, look the, real the good. The blades were sticks of dynamite. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other explosion, the bridge one, looks real good, too. I, I really love that stunt. Yeah, him, him sort of jumping uh, off this suspension bridge as it's blowing up behind him. That's such a trailer moment, uh, and it mm-hmm. it looks great, though. I mean, the explosions are really well done. I mean, this is an era where they're making them explosions real. You know, CGI is not enough of a, uh, not much of a factor at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the, the bats were apparently CGI'd in. Really? I, I read that, yeah, Stallone and Janine Turner were just like, uh, yeah, we don't want, like, a thousand bats like, <laughs> flying in front of our face. Fair enough. But they look, they look pretty good. You can't really tell. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Like, the only kind of, like, struggle with CGI that I noticed was some of the gunshots happening when they're doing one of those vertigo pans up to, like, Stallone. He has the first case, and he's in that overhang. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it was, like, an After Effects little, like, yellow <laughs> yeah, totally. yellow cloud burst next to his head. <laughs> <laughs> I think when he's shooting Travers too, right, and the bullets are coming out of the ice, <laughs> yeah. those look those look like friggin' Roger Rabbit, <laughs> fucking cowboy and Indian bullets. 
<laughs> uh, but that's why we love movies like this. It's just like that that whole like transitional period where it's like we can use computers for some stuff. Uh, we can't for others. Uh, so we're going to have to just blend them and figure it out the best way we can. And I think, I mean, yeah, it, it's about to change, uh, you know, probably for the worse, for for a while anyways. Mm-hmm. Three years after this, Schwarzenegger is going to be telling <laughs> what's supposed to be a CGI alligator <laughs> that he's luggage. Your luggage. And it just doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. You have been erased. Um, it was just, <laughs> <laughs> you're, totally, you're totally spot on. I agree. And now, nowadays, like, CGI is, you know, there's just variance in CGI. You can tell when there's good and when there's bad. But I think stuff like this kind of makes you appreciate the good stuff. Like, we, we're not even aware of movies now, like, how many effect shots there are, how much they do with computers after the fact. And it looks pretty good. I mean, they, they paid a guy a million dollars to walk between those two planes, or, or not walk, but, you know, repel yep. on, on a line. That was like a stunt. They had to film it in the States because it was illegal to do it in Europe, I read. <laughs> and a guy got a million bucks now to talking. just like without any harness or any safety equipment. I mean, it looks like he's probably wearing a parachute underneath the uh, the coveralls yes. that he's got on. Oh, yeah. But still, a dude did that. That's insane. Yeah, that is crazy. It makes me think of like in latter days, because now they probably wouldn't even do that stuff in America anymore. Uh, but as an action movie fan, Jeff, have you seen the Raid films? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Many times. There are so many stunts in Raid 2 that I'm like, they would not be able to do this if they were not in Indonesia. Like, they're... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. The car, yeah. The car the car chase. bike stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, that car chase in that movie is masterful. Mm-hmm. I, I love those movies so much. Would you say this is your favorite Stallone movie, Jeff? Or where does it rank for you? Uh, that's a tough one because it, it's, it's hard for me to ignore just the the amazingness of Rambo First Blood Part 2. <laughs> just where that takes the franchise. I mean, the first Rambo is sort of almost, it's, it's kind of an action movie, but it's also somewhat of a rumination on PTSD and how America kind of let its veterans down after subjecting them to the horrors of Vietnam. Yeah. And then in First Blood Part 2, he goes and he fucking wins the <laughs> Vietnam War. Like, <laughs> takes out and kills a whole bunch of Soviets as well. What's, right? what, subtext? So, what subtext? What yeah, subtext? Totally. And it's like, that's the biggest year of Stallone's career. That year, that 85, is when he also does Rocky IV, where he basically wins the Cold War by defeating a, a Russian boxer. And like that, that's, that's peak Stallone. I mean, Rocky IV, I also love. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as much as Rocky III, though. I think that's my favorite Rocky. Oh, nice. But I guess of his non-Rambo Rocky movies, this, this and Demolition Man are, are up there for me, along with Cobra and Tango and Cash. I'd have to watch all of them again to sort of make a proper <laughs> ranking. But this is this is peak Stallone, I would say. Echo many of those opinions. I am a little hurt not to hear Judge Dredd mentioned in the same <laughs> breath. That is that is a favorite of mine for the camp factor and just how cheesy it is. Yeah, to me that was a letdown after Demolition Man, which I thought was a much better yeah. sort of sci-fi property for him. Uh, I was kind of over Rob Schneider as a comedic sidekick at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Judge Dredd didn't help with that because it cranked up the Schneider factor significantly. Sure does. But he also got the uh, Armand DeSante factor. (laughs) That's true. And there was none of him in Demolition Man. So, yeah. Law. Yeah. Yeah, I should should really watch that again, actually. Maybe, (laughs) Maybe I'd like it better upon reappraisal. I mean, it's it's as someone who like had no connection to the comics and as like I don't necessarily hold like badassery in action movies all that precious either like 
man, just give me some something with people being silly. Yeah. And Judge Dredd. Like, Judge Dredd is like a hyper violent chil- like children's action movie. This is so weird. Who is this for? <laughs> yeah, cuz it, it does it it isn't that hard in terms of its violence. Like, you know, this is like way more violent yeah. than Judge Dredd. Yeah, but it's also not really for kids either. Like it's still kind of R-rated, I believe. Yeah. And it's not it, apparently it strays. I'm not familiar with the comics that much either, but what I've heard it it's not a very good adaptation of them. Uh you know, the Carl Urban Dredd is much more uh, Hughes closer to what the comics are apparently. Yeah, yeah, it's much more grim. Like the comics are much more grim and kind of mordant humor, whereas Judge Dredd is taking place in like the post Burton Batman era of comic book films. Yes, so we have to play up. We have so. to play up the unreality and like, make everything heightened, basically. And I don't think Stallone's the guy you want if you're going to try and sort of convey wry British style humor <laughs> on the big screen. That's just not. That's not how oh, he works. How dare you! <laughs> uh, I will also go to bat for Copland, which is like on a different plane, I think, than like the other movies we're talking about. It's not necessarily an action movie, even. It's like you know a, a drama, thriller type of movie, and Stallone plays like pretty against type. He's just like a sad sack, overweight local cop, who's everything's going over his head. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Actually, I haven't I haven't even thought about that one in a while. But that was yeah him kind of trying to. Trying to, after he's sort of he's flailing in the mid '90s a bit, right? Yeah. I think Judge Dredd doesn't really work, and you know, Assassins and The Specialist are sort Daylight. of middling. <laughs> Daylight again, middling. Um, you know, so he's trying 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 to switch it up. I mean, he always eventually just goes back to the Rocky and Rambo well, <laughs> whenever he needs to feel better about himself. Also, was curious to know if anyone has seen the film Driven from 2001, which is also a Rennie Harlan and Stallone collaboration. I have not. Mm. All I remember was the um, ads for it and the fact that it was really shit on by the critics. I think that was his last movie for a couple of years. I think Stallone, maybe he takes a break after that until Rocky Balboa, I feel like, possibly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, those those late 90s, early aughts ones, like, you know, Get Carter is in there, too. I, I yeah. kind of checked out. I think at that point, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grown-ass man. I'm living on my own. I'm renting VHS tapes of, like, 70s kung fu movies <laughs> by the bucket load, and I'm sort of... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm moved away from sort of the mainstream American action. And to be fair, the late 90s, early aughts, is, there's not a lot going on there, I'd say, uh, too memorable. I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, movies I'm missing. But overall, uh, it's not as fruitful a, a period for American action movies as the 80s or, you know, early to mid 90s. Yeah. Or the teens, even, really. I mean, last decade's been great stuff. You know, you see a similar trajectory with Arnold, even, after last action hero and true lies like you know it's not really the same for a while yeah until he goes back to the terminator well yep. <laughs> you know he's yeah you got six day end of days his day his day duology <laughs> collateral damage is in there i haven't seen any of those because again they're just sort of like they didn't seem like they had it it's just you know yeah banking on the name being on the poster and that being enough to like just say hey it's the new arnie movie come come see it also yeah, any any fun. thoughts on expendables while we're here at the intersection of schwarzenegger and stallone <laughs> yes well um i i want to like them more uh i've only, I've only I have seen the first two i haven't seen the third one i heard the third one was like rated pg-13 and i was kind of like what are you what are you doing stallone Ooh. like <laughs> violence is is his whole thing you know like that's that's what he has been always been about i mean there's uh there's apparently this x-rated cut of cobra floating around out there uh or rumored to be rated x for its violence, right? They had to tone that movie down significantly to get an R rating in, in 1986. But yeah, Expendables, I'd say, 
given the cast involved, I think it'd be hard to live up to that. So I like them fair enough. Expendables 2 did give us the line said by Jason Statham, I now pronounce you man and knife. Redford stabs a dude in the throat. (laughs) That is pretty great. (laughs) They are, they are, yeah. Expendables is always like better in theory than in practice. Like you just hear all those names and you get so excited. I was real disappointed. I've only seen the first one. And my problem was like, they, they were all written to be the same character. Yeah. And I feel like you could have like made them, made them all like some kind of archetype, like, Give them all like a shtick or a gimmick, but but instead they're all they're all macho, they're all badasses, they're all the same yeah. person, and, and there's like no delineation between any character. <laughs> yes, and it just like lost me. I don't know. I just... Having Stallone write and direct the first one, and then he wrote the other two is probably a mistake. I feel like there you 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 need to get like a younger like a Tarantino type action movie fan yeah. to to right. write that who. Who has seen every Chuck Norris movie and every Van Damme movie and can yeah. slot them in according to their own strengths, you know? Right, right, right. And it's it's kind of instructive too, and in like why these movies are usually cast with like one and maybe two main heroes. It's like when you have that many egos in play, yeah. I think that also just adds to the fact that everyone is a big macho hero because they probably don't want to be anything else. Like I'm not going to be the one to yeah. look weak. Or less strong than anyone right. else. For yeah. sure. I mean, I think, you know, the first Expendables, like, the main thing I can remember from it is that Terry Crews was awesome in it, right? Like, the least known name in that movie, you know, that was sort of where I'd first taken notice of him. I guess I'd seen him in uh, Idiocracy, of course, where he plays uh, <laughs> President Camacho. <laughs> but, you know, that really was like, man, this Terry Crews guy is pretty good. He's you going know? places. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's going to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, yeah. where he's awesome. I did. I did like um, Van Damme in Expendables too. Like for me, that was kind of the yeah. high water mark, and it was all just because of him and his really weird energy that he brought to the to the broth here. Yeah, I think Van Damme was humbled by his fall from sort of action movie stardom. Yeah. You know, more so than like Seagal. Seagal's still just. I mean, Seagal's a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> um, but you know, Seagal's still just in these. I must these, say, like, Steven Seagal's a real piece of shit. <laughs> i mean don't get me wrong i love i love his early 90s output those movies are hilarious uh and and legit awesome some of them under siege but yeah van damme i think has had his last decade has been much better than a lot of those mid mid-level 90s guys uh i don't know if you guys have seen any of the later universal soldier movies uh our, regeneration and day of reckoning are good day of reckoning especially are yeah. yeah. Well, our good friend Eric Wheeler uh, raves about them, so I've been curious for a long time. Oh, yeah, I recommend. Them. I mean, they are not uh, winking or ironic at all. They are like heavy duty, like brutal action movies. Uh, and Van Damme and Lundgren both appear in the last one. They're the bad guys of oh, it. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, the star is a British actor named Scott Adkins, who <laughs> is uh, maybe not super well known, uh, but to action heads like myself, he is very well known because he's he's in these just tons of these great direct-to-video action movies that have been popping up over the last decade actually a, a movie that i would recommend stars uh what's the british bad guy in this movie the actor's name i can't remember oh clinette or whatever do you mean craig fairbrass yeah, delmar yeah sorry. delmar i confuse delmar and kynette all the time <laughs> which they wouldn't like those no. characters oh, <laughs> delmar is so racist <laughs> yeah he calls him boy that's no good 
Um, but yeah, Craig, Craig Fairbrass was the bad guy in a recent movie starring Scott Adkins called Avengement, which is <laughs> a great title <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> and um, it's I, I didn't know that was a word. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is now. Avengement. <laughs> it's about a guy like, trying to get his isn't avengement. It, isn't it vengeance? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> the word avengement isn't even said in the movie, as far as I know. Like, it's, it's a baffling <laughs> title. But um, I'd say it's like a Guy Ritchie movie with the Guy Ritchiness like, reduced by 33% and the like, action cranked up by 33%. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a fun movie. Very British. I'll have to p- but, put um, it on my yeah. list. Uh, yeah, what were we talking about? I, I, yeah, I, <laughs> put a nickel in me and get me <laughs> ranting about action movies and I'll go all day. Oh, that's what we, that's what we <laughs> love. That's why you're here. Hey, that's why. That's why I'm here. <laughs> but yeah, going back to Stallone and kind of like his legacy and stuff. I, it's interesting now that he's like kind of dipping a toe into the Marvel world, into the DC world, and I'm just like mm. sitting here on the edge of my seat, like waiting for him to just take a bigger part in that. Like I, I am so yes. ready for him to be like one of the stars of the next Guardians movie that would like fit so well with what those movies are. Oh please, yeah. I mean, he's not—he's not getting any younger. Yeah. He's, in his, he's like seventy-six, seventy-seven years old yeah. now. He's still pretty sprightly, though. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw Rambo: Last Blood. It's really bad, yep, but he's—he's he's still <laughs> good. Final kill. Uh, I'll give him that. He rips the guy's heart out. He gives him a fatality. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Appropriate now that Rambo is literally a Mortal Kombat character in the most recent Mortal Kombat game. Nice, voiced by Stallone. But yeah, I think James Gunn is obviously buddy buddy with uh, Stallone. So yeah. Give him, give him more to do because I agree. And just like it must be so fitting with like the character of Peter Quill, like the the way that like Kurt Russell was a huge presence in Volume Two. Yeah, like of course his yeah. dad, his father figure is going to look like Kurt Russell. <laughs> I just want Stallone to be let loose, and also, but like if if not, then I'm also glad that we get him as the voice of King Shark in the Suicide Squad. Who's Yes, that was so wonderful. That was a fun, fun fact I saw going around. You know, with with him being in that movie, Stallone has now appeared in a number one box office hit in six consecutive decades. Nice, congratulations, Sly! <laughs> you did it. Yeah, he was. I, I liked his contributions to the Suicide Squad. That was yeah. that was good stuff. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of in general, I like. I don't know if you guys have seen the Harley Quinn animated show, but King Shark is a big part of that. But he is normal. Like, he talks normally. It's voiced by um, uh, Ron Funches is the, the comedian. <laughs> Are you serious? The name of the actor. <laughs> and he's awesome in that. And, like, yeah, I just love this character who I've never hadn't heard of him until three years ago is all of a sudden this, like, front and center DC guy. <laughs> uh, no, I need to check that out because I know what Ron Funches sounds like. And I'm picturing that voice. Yes. Oh, he's <laughs> with King Shark. <laughs> He's my favorite in that show. I mean, that the, the voice cast in that is stacked. You got uh, who else is in there? Uh, what's his name? Buster Tony Hale from uh, okay. Arrested Development mm-hmm. is uh, is a guy in there. And I mean, Kaylee Cuoco is is Harley Quinn, and she does a pretty good job. She's not she's not doing the kind of old school '90s animated kind like of Brooklyn New yeah. Yorky kind of accent or whatever accent mm-hmm. she had back in the day. She's playing it straight, but uh, doing a good job. And um, Alan Tudyk is great in it as Clayface. Oh, nice. And he's the Joker, too, I believe. So, yeah, that's a good show. Very violent. Recommendations portion of the show, folks. This is like, if you like Cliffhanger, (laughs) you'll probably like anything else we mentioned. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else about the movie that we want to talk about? 
brief aside, the uh, at the end credits, they say specifically, like, the black diamond harness used in this movie was altered so that it would fail. Right. Like, I guess they're trying to cover their ass, <laughs> the, the harness yeah. company. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, there's some good... I mean, even the, 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 the final line that he says to Quaylen, right? It's like, keep your arms away from the vehicle. Like, he just... It turns into mumbling at the end. <laughs> and then, uh, I think, to me, the Stalloniest is... He's holding Sarah and telling her, like, you're not going to die. And he has, like, like primo Stallone lip on that. Like, it's like, his, his, his mouth shape just becomes a crescent moon. <laughs> That's perfect. And earlier on in that scene, too, you know, he's talking to Jeannie Turner. He's like, baby, he lies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> this is what I want in movie starts. There's no one on Earth who sounds like Sylvester Stallone. No one on earth. Yeah. He's a singular guy. I mean, that just, I think his, his career is, we talked about, you know, he, he, he starts out, you know, he's being compared, compared to like Brando when he's in Rocky right. one, which is insane to think about now. <laughs> but I could see why, you know, it, it's especially yeah. from that movie brooding. Yeah. I mean, that, that version of Rocky only exists in Rocky <laughs> one and then reappear. He reappears in Creed, but yep. like Rocky two, three, four, five, six, like that is just, a different dude that's Stallone the actor basically at that point yeah. Stallone the actor corrupted by all his robot butlers this is not the same yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that's Rocky yeah. 4 for you it's, happy birthday Polly it's a beautiful happy movie. birthday Polly yes <laughs> and then Polly reprograms it to have a sexy woman's voice <laughs> later on too so the implication is that he is having sex with this robot listeners Sylvester Stallone is just a funhouse. like that's all you need to understand if you're not acquainted with the filmography you should check it out yeah he's a national treasure stay away from his comedies uh <laughs> oscar and stop or my mom will shoot are both not that good as i recall it's been a long time of course since i've seen them but yeah i i would concur uh if you want comedy if you want big tough guy comedy stick with arnold yes i mean that that one two punch of twins and kindergarten cop are why stallone got into doing comedy i think it was a whole like hey you can do it i can do it too kind of thing <laughs> Fun fact about that, yeah, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Apparently, that script was going around. Arnold read it, thought it sucked, but he intentionally floated the rumor that he wanted to do it to bait Stallone into doing it. (laughs) He he knew. Sounds like Arnold. (laughs) Yeah, classic Arnold honey trap. (laughs) I got you. I got you with that one right there. Man, we've we've careened off the cliff of this episode. We've gone so far Sorry. over the edge. No, it's it's great. We're having a great time. I am having a great time, and I think our listeners will too. But with that being said, what do you guys think? Is it time to check our straps, check our buckles, and make sure we're ready to pitch off the side of this mountain? I can go across this this wire first. So if you know, we've we've talked about how Stallone can keep reprising his Rocky, his Rambo, and even his, his Expendables characters. Then I want to see the swan song of a seventy-something rock jock, Stallone as he is now. Sequel: Living in Montana. Frank's granddaughter is now a ranger at Glacier National Park. So she's she's like the sidekick in this movie. And what we would do is we would mirror the diverse, in quotes, set of villains in that 90s style by making them all just like different versions of a certain nationality. Like Die Hard has all the vaguely European people. 
cliffhanger as lots of British folk. And given the setting of this film, it will just be all the different kinds of Canadians. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I thought you might like that, Jeff. This is also a little bit of tribute to you and your, your home nation. So, you know, like a prairie cowboy, uh, a newfie, like someone from the real far north. And, of yeah. course, the, the ringleader would be a Quebecois. Like all, <laughs> all like snide and, and, and uh, witty. The bad guys can be what after, after whatever they want. That's not important. But like in this film, we'd e- emphasize like the generational differences in uh, action cinema between then and now. So like, well, and, and, and kind of like use it as like a Clint Eastwood-esque way of saying that the old guy still got it. Okay. So the villains will have all the latest tech, but like there'll be a scene where Stallone like this finds an old like survivalist shack that's just full of shoulder strap Uzis. He's like, oh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and my God, we can make all my Sega CD dreams come true. We'll finally get to see old man Stallone snowboarding in this one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have like a very clever working title for this. I think it would be enough to follow the convention of all these like late career Stallone vehicles. And we'll just call it Gabe Walker. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that is totally what it would be called. That's great. I like it. Um, mine's pretty. Mine's pretty loose and short. And I kind of either want a 3D remake in the style of like Gravity. Oh yeah. Or or, or the mm. Revenant, where you know, seemingly one long take, just this immersive camera work. Because I feel like nowadays, like you could do such a cool vertigo inducing movie that like really puts you in the in the point of view of the of the climber so that's one idea or i just want like a really good quality modern video game based on cliffhanger um because the plot itself is so video game like like we said um and the setting would just be really cool and and i feel like if you like actually made it like a climbing game and then mix in like the the terrorist elements and make it kind of like a golden eye type thing, uh, where you have to like hunt down the uh, the suitcases and you know pick off terrorists along the way. Like I feel like it would just be really fun, and I can just see it. I don't know. I just want to see like the the most updated like 2021 graphics version of either the movie or the video game. <laughs> I like it. I, I'm trying to think of like other mountain movies that have come out recently. Did any of you see that um, Everest movie? I think it was. Was that no. Jake Gyllenhaal in that one? And of course, um, I don't know if any of you saw Free Solo, the documentary that won the Oscar. I didn't see that either. either. Well, cliffhanger is all we need. Yeah, I've only seen two <laughs> movies with the word solo in the title, and that is not one of them. <laughs> Of course, the other one, the Star Wars one, and then the Mario Van Peebles action movie from the mid '90s, All right. where he plays a robot. <laughs> yeah, I don't, it, I'm trying to think of yeah other mountain movies that I can't. Nothing's really coming to mind. Um, was that Vertical Limit? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, back in the day. That, bas- yes. that basically is like a cliffhanger ripoff, I think. Mm. Or uh, what was that movie? Extreme Ops. Didn't that take place on a mountain? Yeah, it takes place in the uh, the Alps. 2002, Extreme Op, starring Devin Sawa and Bridget Wilson. So there you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Never heard I of mean, that one. That's just Sounds... high school brain picking that out. <laughs> yeah. 
much like the two cool dudes in this movie, I also like things extreme. So maybe I'll have to check it out. <laughs> Should. Check it out, Cheesehead. <laughs> Cheesehead? Cheesehead. <laughs> that, I mean, if you guys don't mind, just briefly, that yeah, scene yeah. where they're the two, the two cliff jumper dudes are in the tent. Like, what the hell are they talking about there? <laughs> like, the guy's like, dude, like, next time you're watching MTV, just, like, switch it to the Weather Channel for a second. <laughs> and then he just drops that. He's like, where would you rather be? Kind of thing. Like, it just, that, that whole scene makes no sense at all. That was baffling to me. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. I, 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 did I miss something? <laughs> yeah. Tent City or playing some righteous air hockey? <laughs> <laughs> like... They they seem to both agree like we don't want to be here. We'd rather be playing video games. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Because it's because of the weather. Like they ignored the weather yeah. warning and they're stuck there on the mountain, the next overnight. Oh, I think it's just explaining why okay. they're there to be shot by the bad guys later. Because yeah, okay, I, I I totally didn't get the weather channel thing. I thought he was saying something like. Dude, like, if you want your mind blown, like, next time you're, like, smoking a big fatty and watching MTV, like, switch to the weather channel. Like, that's how I was kind of reading it. It's just it. one yeah. idiot shaming right. another, you know? It's like, you're, you're just as dumb as this other guy. Uh, the, the, the thing I, I thought was remarkable is it's like, it is so clearly what, a, like, a studio execs version of what young people sound like. Like, this yeah. is Sylvester yes. Stallone's idea of what the kids are saying. <laughs> Hey, these kids don't like work these days. It's so lazy. It's Generation X. Uh, I need you to do like my outgoing message on my phone or something. <laughs> All right. Man, I'm I'm gaining so much That's confidence from this hilarious. podcast. <laughs> it's so good. We're blessed with a lot of friends who can do incredible uh, impressions, and you you are the Stallone. We found our Stallone. Yeah. We need to look no further. <laughs> um, so what? What's what's your pitch, Jeff? I'm excited for this. All right, I too am going to go with a current aged Stallone, mid mid seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the opening scene, he is with his, let's say, late teens, eighteen, nineteen year old daughter, uh, Gabrielle Gabby Walker, <laughs> but. Stallone dies in the opening scene uh... and it's her fault. It's not just equipment failure. Like she's inexperienced and she fails. Like she does something wrong and he ends up falling to his death. Uh, so that's a big, you know, what they killed Stallone in the opening scene. So she doesn't go to Colorado to work. She joins the military and quickly becomes like special ops, you know, black ops, wet works mission. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Colorado, you know, eight years later, something like that. Got to give her time to become, like, <laughs> the best damn soldier in the military. The son of Eric Quaylen, Derek Quaylen. <laughs> I don't know. What do you, as someone named Eric, uh, Eric, what do you think about using Derek as, like, an altered, alternate version of your I mean, name? Sounds like something a Quaylen would do. <laughs> <laughs> so Derek Quaylen, um, I don't know what he steals. There's got to be a heist. I figured they did a plane in the first one, maybe a train isn't as exciting but what else what else is there you know there's no where else do you steal things from so they pull a heist and they escape to the mountains maybe the train is going through the mountains uh it's in dark territory the setting of under siege 2 <laughs> and uh they escape to the mountains maybe their helicopter crashes so they're in there they have the microfilm or whatever they whatever you have these days and they got to send in gabby walker to take them out but she hasn't been back to the mountains since the 
accident that killed her father. But then basically what I'm thinking of here is this it turns into a Rambo movie where like a soldier, a trained uh, you know, killer is is in conflict with these terrorists. So you have way more traps being set and maybe someone gets killed by like shooting they have the this piton gun they use in, in Cliffhanger where they use this gun to shoot little spikes into the rock to tie ropes to. Someone should have gotten shot with one of those, I figure. So they can rectify that with Cliffhanger 2. Um, and, you know, in the end, they pull, it's revealed that Derek Quaylen is doing a reverse Die Hard where he wasn't in it for the money. He just wanted to meet the daughter of the man who <laughs> killed his father. Oh. And kill her. The cycle. The cycle continues. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, more, I mean, you got to give the first cliffhanger credit. Like, they really do use all the parts of the buffalo. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, there's like a rope scene, there's a rope bridge, there's a ladder, there's it's an avalanche, you know, every, yeah. everything, yeah, yeah, everything you could have, right? So that's why I'm thinking do it more where she is a la a Rambo, um, setting them up with traps, mm. spike pits and whatever awesome. else. And she just takes them all out. The end. <laughs> And I think you just go 90s style, cliffhanger 2, Roman numeral 2. Maybe maybe the Fs in cliff can be sort of have the, the Roman numeral I's embedded Ooh, in them. Oh, yes. There we go. That's my pitch. I love Beautiful. it. Yeah. Green light all the way. All right. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a casting choice for uh, Gabby? So a couple of things I thought of. One, uh, Stallone's actual daughter... Sistine Stallone is an actor. Um, she appeared in 47 Meters Down 2, Shark Attack movie from a couple years ago. I haven't oh, seen it. Yeah. Do you think she was uh, conceived I don't know how... at the Sistine Chapel? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, so, you know, he's in full movie star mode. He's just like, yeah, I can fuck with the Sistine Chapel. Who cares? Like, <laughs> great name, though. Great name for his, like, it's just so easy to imagine him saying, like, hey, Stallone. <laughs> But I haven't seen her. I think she's fifth or sixth build in that shark movie, so she for sure gets eaten. So I'm not sure how much how much you know bona fides she has. So an alternate choice I have is uh, Samara Weaving. Oh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with her. I'm in love with her. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She, me too. She she played Bill's daughter in Bill yes, and Ted Three. Yes. Uh, um, also amazing. The movie that, Ready or Not. Yeah, I was going to say that that that's the movie that makes me think she's good for that she goes through such a gauntlet in that movie yeah. um it's almost diehard like i mean the movie isn't like a diehard movie but like her ordeal yeah, yeah, is yeah. somewhat similar she's kind of thrown and into you know it. she's wearing a she's got to pull objects out of her appendages yeah. that she's been impaled yeah. with and yeah. just like john mcclain has to do uh and she yeah she's been in, there's she was in a movie called guns akimbo with uh daniel radcliffe oh, yeah. kind of an action movie it wasn't that good but she's great and i think she she can do it. She's got the action chops, I feel. Uh, I like it. I haven't seen the new G.I. Joe movie, but she plays Scarlet mm-hmm. in that. Oh, right, and I'm yeah. looking forward to that when that eventually arrives in Japanese cinemas. It's already gone from American cinemas, so I guess we sent, we sent yeah. all the copies to you. Here you go. <laughs> Actually, I think I heard the plane. <laughs> Something happened to the plane. Uh, like another plane pulled oh, up no. next to it. And <laughs> the three cases with all no. the film canisters fell. Into the Italian mountains. Oh, we didn't talk about that plane hijack scene, which is really cool. Like, true again, true. filmed filmed really sweetly. 
and I wonder if like Christopher Nolan took inspiration from that for The Dark Knight Rises because uh, I was you have to think he did. I was yeah. feeling very similar vibes, and <laughs> even like Quaylen's theatricality reminds me of Bane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's even got the thing like they're they're all wearing on the, sort on of the mask, uh, yeah, the yep. masks, yeah, <laughs> all business, and they got the they have furry jackets, furry collars. <laughs> oh man, oh man, get him to I, a hospital. I wish, I just, I hope, I hope Chris Nolan is just like the biggest fan of cliffhanger. <laughs> oh man, I just, yeah, well, that would delight me. Yeah, me too. Just like that scene, like I said, you know, it's 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 like the first thirty minutes and the last twenty minutes of this movie that really make it for me. And I like I like the stuff that goes on in between, but man, that stuff to me is just ah oh, so so good. You know, what was even better was our pitches, man. I want to see all this stuff get made. <laughs> so you know, Hollywood, just give us a call uh, and give us you know, send three cases of uh, sixty million dollars in <laughs> unregistered bills. Thousand dollar bills. bills, and just scatter them Deep. across the Rockies, and we'll we'll find them. Yeah, <laughs> try not to be paranoid. Yeah, we just need to look at the. <laughs> try not to be superstitious. We look at the tracker for like ten seconds. We know where those <laughs> yeah. things are. Everybody wants what they got. Do you guys know which American president is on the thousand dollar bill? Oh. I looked it up. Mm. It is a, so. It is a president. Yes, I, I, th- oh, I okay. think so. It's Grover Cleveland. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. I would never have guessed. I think that. I once knew <laughs> he's a president. Right? That's a, a name I've heard because it's a weird name. It's just funny that there was a once a president named Grover. Yeah. <laughs> What's weirder is he was president for two non-consecutive terms. Oh, really? Interesting. So him and then Trump I, will be the I second one, I wasn't going right? to say it, but I'm already thinking it. <laughs> 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 to, to bring our spirits up, though, <laughs> let's get back on the topic of this wonderful movie and uh, discuss, for Cliffhanger, what were we watching? What were we watching? Uh, for me, it was, like I said, Die Hard on a Mountain. <laughs> I mean, it, it may not be the, the, the level of brilliance that I think Die Hard is, but it, it just like really having fun with the, the concept of just, you know, throwing an everyman into a terrorist situation in a, in a cool setting in a setting that's very at home for me, the Rocky Mountains, and I don't know. I just, I have a lot of fun with this movie. Watching it unfold in its simplicity. Yeah, it's just, it's a fun time. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's straightforward. It's uh, satisfyingly straightforward, you know? And yes, yes. Because you bastard, I wrote the exact same thing. It's Die Hard on a Mountain. <laughs> uh, I think that's just inescapable. Yeah. And on brand for this era in movies, but you know, I also it, it's it is a fine action cheese platter with a nice side of Italian ham. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I, having watched it now for the for the first time, it's like yeah, I dig it. I dig it. I'm putting it up there in, in my Stallone filmography ranking, and uh, it's a fun snapshot of the that era of action filmmaking. To kind of extend the food analogy i would say this is just meat and potatoes like 90s action you know it's it's not a not a paradigm shifter it's not a terminator 2 or hard boiled but it it is just satisfying it mm-hmm. it's it's like a shepherd's pie right <laughs> it just fills you up yeah gives you a warm feeling in your tum tum <laughs> and uh and it really is you know i'm not i don't like to be a, a guy who's kind of like 
you know, oh, they don't make them like this anymore. Like, you know, they don't. And, you know, action movies are, are in a good place now, I would say. But this is sort of nearing the end of, of an era. Like CGI is going to come in and, mm-hmm. and guys like Michael Bay are going to come into the picture and they're going to take things in a, in a different direction that, for me, isn't necessarily a good one for a spell. And this is just such a, a perfect version of, of this kind of early 90s action and really one of the last one of the last great years for Stallone. Yeah. Apart from the occasional Rambo right. or Rocky. <laughs> the Rocky revivals. Well, guys... That was that was a lot of fun, you know, taking that trip all the way up to the peaks of 90s action cinema. But before we climb all the way down, we have a mailbag. We got a mail to read. It arrived just hours ago, and it is from our friend Jack Stovold. I know that guy. Yes, this is Jeff's co-host on the Apecast. Yeah. He was on here talking about Napoleon Dynamite not too long ago. That's right. Well, Jack, uh, this one is responding to our Fight Club episode because the subject line of his email is, there's no rule that says you can't talk about the Fight Club soundtrack. (laughs) So Jack writes, loved your ep about Fight Club as it's an old favorite of mine back from my much nerdier hipstery edgelord days, a.k.a. freshman year of high school. (laughs) It occupies a special place in my personal history and a large part of that is the soundtrack. This was one of the important pieces, along with other pieces of pop culture like Final Fantasy soundtracks, Anticipation for Episode 1, New Super Mario Brothers, Sailor Moon, TNG, the DK rap, and others (laughs) in the saga of a different Jack and former guest of the show, Tyler. Let's call him Tyler Barmden. (laughs) You do not talk about Barm's government name unless you're doing it to make Jack slash Tyler jokes. Anyways, the marketing and trailer worked on us. Having never heard the term Fight Club before, I just thought it was a really funny title. And then the pink bar of soap, the tagline, mischief, mayhem, soap. And of course, (laughs) the rules of Fight Club heard in the trailer was such a strange and funny brew that we kind of became obsessed with the film before it came out. I didn't even get to see it for a while into the theatrical run because I got grounded for getting a D minus in Spanish or something. (laughs) And then he editorializes here. Fuck you, Ms. Jimenez. (laughs) Okay. I think at some point I either listened to snippets of the soundtrack at a listening station at the mall. Remember those? Or (laughs) just read a positive (laughs) review and picked up the Fight Club soundtrack and things were never the same. We listened to this soundtrack by the Dust Brothers endlessly at lunch at high school in the classroom we secretly ate in, and I was endlessly fascinated by it. Maybe this is just the normie in me, but I feel like there's nothing quite like it. If there is, please tell me. (laughs) I was intimately familiar with the whole thing long before I ever saw the movie, to the point where when I finally did, it was jarring to hear it all cut up and rearranged in the film. It's an emotional and spiritual journey in and of itself to me, and it's still one of my favorite albums of all time. Like the Akira soundtrack, it's something I'm much more familiar with than the film itself, and something that feels like it came from another world. I've looked in vain for other Dust Brothers releases, but it seems they've only done remixes of other songs, and this is their only instrumental solo release. I was just a bit surprised it never came up in your episode. Mm. Uh, I will say that uh, it's not instrumental, but the Dust Brothers did produce my favorite Beck album by far is Wero, the 2005 album. 
I love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 more of just like a like a Beck album. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have that like instrumental Fight Club flavor, but uh, I know of them because of that album. Yeah, they yeah primarily they're more like producers than yeah. like musician artists musicians. Um, <laughs> I also know they produced some Hanson album from early in their career. <laughs> oh yeah, just because I heard it yep. on some kind of probably on the Rosie O'Donnell show back in the day when my sister mm-hmm. was watching that every single afternoon and uh they mentioned the Dust Brothers and I thought huh that's a funny name Mbop is them like they're ah, that's, that's the okay. production of theirs So there you go Jack <laughs> Mbop and Beck <laughs> uh, that's not all for me uh my favorite Beastie Boys album Paul's Boutique was them too oh, wow. in 89 That is a masterpiece of uh of production as well oh, yeah. as uh, the rapping on there their fingerprints are all over iconic things from several decades, it sounds like. Yeah. There's this thing called Google Jack, if you just type in Dust Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I, I, I like about Jack. There's a lot of things I like about Jack, but his, uh, his ear for, uh, you know, music in movies, like scores, um, you know, he, he really knows his composers and... I mean, we watched uh, for our podcast recently a movie called Ed, uh, starring <laughs> Matt LeBlanc and a guy in a chimp suit. And, you know, he was <laughs> ruminating at length about how he actually thought the opening you know, theme to that movie was really good. And I think me and Barm, the other guest, uh, were just kind of like, huh? Like, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> shit. You know, like, yeah. Jack pays attention to this stuff. Yeah. Both those Stovall boys are really good about, really have an ear for movie music, movie soundtracks. Which are, you know, wallpaper to so many people who watch movies, my, <laughs> myself included. Like, I most, I, I've gotten better at it, but I will still m- notice a, scri- uh, a, a score if it's very different from the norm, you know. Otherwise, I'm like, yeah, this, the music was there. Yeah, totally. Me too. Kind of the same for Cliffhanger. Uh, except I think I did kind of get familiar with the main theme because there is a very ear bleedingly horrible version of it in midi on the sega genesis game title screen <laughs> it's like oh god anyway i digress jack has a little more in his email here um he says other than that love the ep and all you guys's takes on this deceptively complex movie i think being clever is working out very well for you you're doing a <laughs> great job so until it turns out Tyler Barmden is just a facet of me and I've been hosting all these Jack Silly episodes myself, make mine what were we watching? <laughs> I am Jack's overly long-winded email. <laughs> P.S. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> he knew I was going to be here. <laughs> Amazing. He did He it. did. Actually, a couple hours ago, he texted me. He's like, you're doing that today, right? And I was like, yeah. And then I didn't. I, I was waiting to see if he was going to tell me why he asked that. He never did. So now I know. <laughs> Thank you, Jack, for that email and for getting up on a Saturday morning to write that email and send it along to us. We're delighted. And if any of you listeners want to write in and have a little chit chat with us via the interwebs, uh, our email address is what were we watching at gmail.com. It's that simple. We'd love to hear from you. And, while we're plugging, Jeff, why don't you tell the listeners uh, about your tremendously fun and awesome podcast? Okay, yeah, it's called The Ape Cast. I co-host it with email writer Jack Stovold, a frequent guest on this show. 
we talk about all things Planet of the Apes. Uh, we started the thing out about four years ago and thought, okay, there's the movies, everyone knows, a couple TV shows in the 70s, and as we've discovered, there's way, way more out there, uh, especially comics. There's tons of comics out there, which is what we're currently doing. We're starting to look at comics uh, that were published by Boom Studios over the last decade around the release of the most recent trilogy, uh, but are set in the sort of classic movie world. Uh, and we also talk about non-Planet of the Apes things when we can manage to get a bonus episode going. We talk about such movies as Ed, <laughs> the baseball playing chimp. Uh, sorry, Eric, I, you, I think Jack was on a couple episodes ago, uh, the Napoleon Dynamite episode. You, you indicated that you would... Uh, be interested in discussing that movie, but we had already decided that it was time for us to just do Ed. But I think I think um, I actually <laughs> dodged a bullet there, to be honest with you. Oh yeah, it was bad. <laughs> we did not like it at all. A lot of fun talking about it though. Um, so yeah, Rocket Man, you're down. Is that what it's called? The Harlan Williams. Oh yes, that that one and that one is okay. much more dear to my heart than Ed ever was. <laughs> See that that was I, I I'm so glad you mentioned that because I remember that movie existing. That's probably the only Harlan Williams starring vehicle that exists. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was his one chance. True. <laughs> uh, but I had no idea there was a chimp in that thing. So that's that's a delightful thing to to learn. Oh. Well, God willing, we'll we'll meet Ulysses together. <laughs> yes, we'll do that. Uh, Cam has been on the show uh, talking about some Tim Burton era uh, Dark Horse comics. Mm-hmm. Did some Dark Horse exploring together. So. Fun time. Uh, you can, yeah, that's the Apecast. Uh, a lot of, I think a lot of guests who have come through these <laughs> virtual corridors have appeared uh, over on the Apecast as well. So uh, give it a check. Give it a check <laughs> out <laughs> on the internet <laughs> or at theapecast.libsyn.com. I can vouch as a fan of the Apecast, as a listener. Uh, it is so fun and it's just so cool to see the, the uh, kind of depths you guys go to in terms of ape media like it's (laughs) i love how uh your policy how how open your policy is uh once you've gotten through like planet of the apes material which also keeps coming up you know i've read a couple really cool short story collections on planet of the apes because of you guys so yeah uh the tales from the forbidden zone is perhaps yeah that's a great one there's a story in that where dr zayas meets a dinosaur and it's awesome (laughs) yeah i'm glad that people enjoy it uh it's been a lot of fun to go deep into this world that as i said just had so much more to it than we ever realized and a lot of it's pretty good now that disney owns planet of the apes (laughs) what does the future oh my god shall see (laughs) that's exciting man and I'm so glad that we've had you on our our podcast through these electronic corridors, as you said, Jeff. Like this was this is probably one of the last Castville permutations that was left. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It was an absolute blast. Uh, like I say, if you guys ever feel like you want to dip your toes back into these uh, '80s or '90s action waters, uh, I can. It's there's a almost a hundred percent chance I have seen whatever the movie will be in question. <laughs> we'll be happy to talk about it. So yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. Sounds heavenly. So, yeah, if you want to check out more of us uh, and what we're watching, we have our website, whatwerewatching.com, and our Bandcamp page. And, of course, engage with us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Search for what we're watching. And like I said uh, just a little, few minutes earlier, send us an email. Drop us a line about Cliffhanger, about suits, socks, $100 million, the usual stuff. <laughs> uh, what were we watching at gmail.com. Can I also take this moment to... 
plug the new podcast that I have created in the last few days or weeks. Shocking the world. Whenever this whenever this podcast drops. I am the co-host of a new spin-off podcast with Sam Stovold, brother of Jack, who you heard in the email just now. We are in a podcast called The Young Jedi Knights Club, all about the Star Wars Young Jedi Knights young adult novels from the 90s. Uh, it's a great time. I'm bringing my 90s nostalgia love to that podcast as well. And we're just, it's a book club. And we're just dipping our toes into some Star Wars expanded universe stuff that's no longer canon and just having fun with it. Check us out youngjedinightsclub.com or youngjedinights.club. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Both that's redirect. Awesome. Both redirect <laughs> to where we need to be. Uh, yeah, I, I listened to your guys' initial episode, your episode zero, where you sort of laid out what your plans are for the show, and it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to hearing it, and I uh, wanted to thank you, Cam, for the book recommendation. I've never heard of the novel Ishmael oh. before. Oh, man. And I look forward to reading yeah, it as it, an apes guy. You, you ape cast guys, like, if you read it and want to do an episode, I, I, hey. I would be on it. <laughs> that That is something we can definitely do. Cool. Loving it. We're just full of love. And do you know what real love is, guys? Sacrifice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to slip them all in here before we end because I don't want it to end. It's been such a a fun time. I'm in hog heaven. Uh, But I think the season is over, assholes, and I think we do have to go. (laughs) I don't give a shit, Eric Ambler. Jeff, I don't know whether to hate you or love you, <laughs> but I, d- I do know. I love you. I love you. I love both you guys, and we love all our listeners. So for Jeff Clark and Cam Seamer, I'm Eric Ambler. Thanks for listening to What Were We Watching, and until next time. Season's over, asshole!